This is Learning Innovation, the teaching and learning podcast, otherwise known as LittlePod. We are created by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, located in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. Here at CTLI, it's our job to keep education innovative and accessible, which leads to lots of conversations and projects with students, educators and experts in our networks. We hope you'll tune in, hit play, and get inspired as we navigate and capture the dynamic landscape of teaching, learning, and pedagogy. Welcome to this very special episode number 25 of The Little Pod. Our guest today is Dr. Paula Burns, the current president and CEO of Lethbridge College. As many of you may know, Paula is about to embark on an exciting new career path as president and CEO of Langara College in Vancouver, BC. We would like to devote this episode to honouring Paula's work and dedication to Lethbridge College over the past nine years and give her a chance to voice her farewell. We'll be asking Paula about her experiences and even hear some questions and comments from some of our very own students, staff and faculty. All right, welcome Paula. Hi, Donna, and thank you for having me. This is an exciting opportunity. Well, it's really, uh, I'm honoured to be talking to you. And uh, where do we begin? You've been with the college as president and CEO for the past nine years. How are you feeling about this upcoming change? Well, I can honestly say I, you know, I have a sense of what mixed emotions mean. Um, it's, it's sad to be leaving Lethbridge College, there's no question. Every day I have conversations with different people about the things that we have accomplished together and how sad it will be for me to leave. But I'm also very excited about the opportunity that I have. I do know that I am going to a place that's very different from Lethbridge College, a different mission, a different vision, um, and with some excitement for that challenge. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Um, can you recall thinking back to uh, your feeling when you first started at Lethbridge College? Yeah, I have given some thought to that, actually. And, and I do remember joking about the fact that, you know, when you come to a new place, there's two things that are really important to know. And that's one, where do you park when you come in? And two is, where do you get coffee? Um, and I'm serious about those things because it's those, those comforts that, that you know um, that help a lot. But then what I remember also is about being excited about building relationships and, and knowing that, you know, Whatever happens within the walls of a college is all based on how people connect and relate to each other and the work that we all do. And that was really my feeling. I came from a fairly big institution where I did know a lot of people and I was starting over again to meet everyone. And is there any advice that, that you would give to your younger self? I would say, yeah, I mean, one advice is just go with what you feel. Um, Make sure, I think I would say to myself, you know, make sure that you are building those relationships and getting to know the people. I think I, I did that when I first came, but I still believe that to be incredibly um, important. And I would also say that, you know, do a lot of listening, right? I think you do get caught up in that sort of first 90 days and all the things that you want to put into place to, uh, for me to to connect with the board, find out what they want me to do. But it's like, really, it's about listening to the people, finding out what's going on. Um, and that would be the advice I'd give myself if I was coming back here. And that's the advice I give myself going to Langara College. Well, we can certainly tell that you have made many relationships in your time here because we have um, questions for you and comments um, from many of the students and the staff and the faculty. So I have a question from one of our students and they would like to know what was your most memorable thing about being the CEO at Lethbridge College? It's, it's kind of funny. One of the things that I remember pretty early on in my uh, tenure here at Lethbridge was driving into the the parking lot one day, <clears throat> excuse me, and it had been after a snowstorm. And I, I remember thinking, it's like, this place is amazing. And how it runs and that 
There's someone who looks after every little detail, including making sure the roads have been cleared of snow, making sure someone someone was here super early in the morning to clean the sidewalks. And, and for me, reflecting on the memory, it's like, you know, what I have to do is easy compared to what so many other people have to do to keep this place running. But aside from that little funny note, there's, there's many memorable experiences, and it's really hard to categorize sort of one that was the most memorable. But there are a few that sort of stick in my mind. Um, one of them is when the college got uh, the name Okitoki Aquinima um, as our Indigenous name. And that was a, a pretty special moment for, for me, I think, for us as a college to recognize who we are on Blackfoot territory and that we were gifted that name. And the second, of course, is my own Indigenous name, Pita Gasamaki, was a, an extremely humbling day to be given um, a name by a community that we had started to really develop relationships with. And I, I don't take that lightly at all. That was that was a big memory for me. And then the third one that I talk about is the opening of the Trades Technology Innovation Facility. And, and that was lots of years of work with lots of people, not just in building the building, but developing the culture around how trades and technology work together, how the Center for Teaching, Learning, Innovation was involved in the design of the classrooms, for the the light that comes in to that building that we can all sort of see what's going on around us. Um, many parts of that, um, and also including the donors, like so many donors came forward. And we're not a college that has you know, a small number of donors who gave a lot of money. We have a lot of donors who gave the amounts they could to support their community college. And I think that for me is a, is a big memory of the college. That's wonderful. And it really sounds like it shows the support of the community for the work that the college does. Yeah. And when I came here, I knew that there was support for the college. I knew the community was very involved. But it was also one of our strategies to really build those collaborative relationships and partnerships within our community. So I'm proud of the way that we have become uh, an even better community member um, and that we are engaged with so many different organizations within our city. And that really shows from from the memories that you've mentioned. Um, so we have another question from a staff member and they ask, what do you see as the biggest takeaway from your time as president and CEO at Lethbridge College? I would say that my takeaway is uh, similar to what I've already talked about in terms of the people are, you know, what makes up the core of an institution, the culture, whatever happens within the institution is a result of how the people work together. And so what I take away is that uh, continual learning about the importance of collaboration, about the importance of respecting each other's expertise, about recognizing when you have limitations and you need to work with somebody else who has that expertise. And as a leader, one of the things, and I think everybody thinks that the president and CEO, well, they're the person that has all the control. They can say yes or no to anything. One of the things I take away is, no, actually you have none of the control. You have a lot of influence. Um, And it is the people that, are within the organization that really can make the decisions. So so my job is as a cheerleader, as a mentor, um, as someone who is providing opportunity for others to develop their skills, I do have a lot of influence, um, but not control. And that's something I, I certainly take away as my learning. Yeah, and that's a really distinct difference, a really key difference that you've mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's taken, you know, I learned it in different positions within my career, but I think certainly as a president and CEO, you recognize the the value of everyone that works around you. And, and one of my rules is always hire people that are smarter than you. That, that sounds like great advice. Um, so a faculty member asks, what was one of your most challenging times at Lethbridge College? There's probably a a couple things that I could think about in terms of um, the most challenging. Um, And, you know, I could talk about budget and government cuts, et cetera, but those are kind of 
those happen to everybody. <laughs> and I always think that it's always going to be part of post-secondary is that the the government funding is always going to be in flux. So, you know, you just sort of take that as, as an opportunity um, and not look at it as a challenge. Probably one of the, the most significant challenges here is when we first started with, uh, you know, a new vision, a new mission, um, or a reworded mission, I would say, um, but a vision that was very bold in leading and transforming education in Alberta. And, and the challenge being that although we had great excitement um, and engagement in developing that vision, just recognizing that the capacity for change was maybe not where it needed to be. In, in, able to, in being able to move all of that forward. Um, so there were some challenging times. Uh, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say the non-confidence vote was a challenge. Um, it was, but it also provided the opportunity for lots of learning and I think development of, of the entire college community um, working together. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the next challenge the college will face moving forward based on your your nine years of experience and some of the col- the challenges that you've already mentioned? I think the next biggest challenge will continue to be about what is the organization's capacity for change. Um, and I speak, you know, openly about post-secondary is not an industry that has known for being able to change quickly. COVID aside, the pandemic did force us to change quickly. An external, uh, an external event environment forced us to change quickly, and we did it. So I think if we can build on those lessons and learn that, you know what, we can actually make more changes than we thought we could, that that will help to overcome the challenge. But just the development of change capacity within organizations, I think, is, is a big challenge. I do think it's there for post-secondary. I think Lethbridge College has made a lot of steps forward. We have started to do some very new programming ideas, some innovation in our applied research area, and we are, are more prepared than many, but that's still going to be a challenge into the future. Yeah, it does seem like there are a lot of um, exciting things coming up on the horizon. Um, is there a new area that you would really see um, the college leading in? I think we are going to be leading in... Um, how I'll describe it, maybe alternative programming. So, you know, just as an example, when we talked about micro-credentials eight years ago, it was they were going to rock the system. <laughs> they they were, how were we going to make sure our students could transfer into other institutions who may or may not accept them? So I do think that where we are leading is that we've at least had some conversation about some of those things, that we've recognized that we could have a bold vision Um, And even if we weren't prepared to make all the changes right away, we've at least had the conversations about them. Um, In the applied research area is another area where I would say that we have done amazing work over the last five or six years. We've involved lots of students. We've had uh, world-class researchers come to Lethbridge College. I think that's an area that we can capitalize on if we blend some of our micro-credential programming and our applied research together, we can create some amazing, let's say, certificate programs um, that will provide workers of the future. That sounds very exciting. And and as you're talking, I'm thinking about, wow, the last nine years. I mean, really, there's been a lot of changes. Yeah, I, I think there have. And there's been lots of change even just in some of the processes that we do uh, internally and really preparing us for what that future could look like, Um, whether it's our IT systems, whether it's uh, the way we develop curriculum. We've made some pretty major changes that, um, in speaking even with colleagues last week, talking about the need to have um, what would be our CTLI in their institutions. There's institutions in the province that have no CTLI. You know, they do not have uh, curriculum development instructional design, um, the AV, the technology pieces, um, and they're looking to us to say, how did you do that? 
That's that's really exciting to hear that that we're leading in so many areas. Um, I just want to go back to a comment from um, the same faculty member who posed the earlier questions. And so um, this faculty member says that it was great that Paula made time to visit behind the scenes at DCM events like the live coverage of games, the mock disaster, kaleidoscope and more. It was also awesome to have her strong support for events like Merging Realities. Thanks for all your support through the years. It's been a pleasure working with you over the years and all the best at Langara College. Thank you. That's that's very nice. And it's interesting, all of those events that you mentioned um, were all new things that happened uh, in the last nine years, not because of me, but I think because we believed in our faculty um, we believed in each of the academic areas to be innovative and do different things. And we, we supported that, which I think is what they've mentioned. And I think that's key to success is you need to support the strength that's there. Yeah, the environment was available for those things to happen. Um, okay, so here's another question from a staff member who's asking, um, looking forward to the next two, five, and 10 years in Canadian post-secondary education, what would you foresee as the greatest challenge and or opportunity that we will face? I think that we are going to continue to face external pressure um, to respond quicker, to be different, um, to break out of the I guess 200 plus year norm of what the practice or best practice of post-secondary is. I think the institution that, you know, puts time into their people development, into their developing their capacity to change, those are the institutions that are going to succeed. I think the the challenges from a, a financial resource perspective are still going to be there. And in fact, I spoke to someone today who said, you know, we're going to actually see the end of globalization. And you think about that from an international student perspective. We're probably going to see returning more to a very local environment. And the reliance on international students from a revenue perspective is going to be a challenge. So I would say at Lethbridge College, we've done a fantastic job of making sure that the the number of international students that we are accepting every year is uh, a proportion of our domestic enrollment and that we have not become reliant on that revenue um, to sustain us. So I do think that's going to be a challenge in post-secondary. An interesting mix of, of challenges and opportunities ahead. Yeah, there's definitely lots of opportunities, but we have to be prepared to think differently. This uh, same staff member says, Paula, that you have been an inspirational leader. Thank you. Um, so innovation has been a key focus for the college, and it's the basis for this podcast. So I'm curious, what does innovation look like and mean to you now and going forward? What, what innovation means to me, um, I guess, sort of past, present, and future, is really that it's a continuum. And I think one of the, the challenges we face is sometimes thinking that innovation has to be something that's completely brand new, um, that we've never thought of it before. <laughs> um, but what I've come to realize is, is that continuum. So it might go from, let's say, a continuous quality improvement process to something that is totally brand new, right, that didn't exist before. Um, and I think that's probably one of the areas that we've been pretty good at. Sometimes we've just tweaked the edges of some of the processes. And sometimes we've said, you know what, let's try something new. I also think that in the context of what innovation means is that we have to recognize that some things will work and some things won't work. Um, and just being okay with that which happens probably more in private industry than in public. Because <laughs> in, in public sector, we're, we're pretty careful with um, the resources that we're granted to use. And so sometimes taking risks feels like, you know, completely opposite to what we need to do. So in some ways, the reduction in government funding does give us more opportunity to rely on innovative and entrepreneurial ways to, to increase our, our resources. So... Long answer to what does innovation mean? It, it means a lot of things, 
But it certainly doesn't mean standing still or going backwards. It, it means you're always taking a step forward, always looking for a different way to do things and celebrating the successes of, of things that are already occurring. You made great points there, too, as far as, you know, we don't always think about sometimes the, the innovations don't always work out and, and we have to be prepared for that as well. Yeah. And and I think certainly the pandemic has has taught us that, you know, some of the things that we thought would never work actually have worked. Right. And and it, we were forced to try some of them. Um, and that's a great thing. It also has has given us um, appreciation for the things that are really valuable to us. And so we know that many students have, have enjoyed um, learning in an online environment or some sort of distributed model. But we also recognize that there there's a significant amount of experiential learning that happens not even in the classroom or not on a Zoom classroom, but happens in the hallways. Um, and so that importance of social space um, as a learning space, I think, is something that we're learning even more about. Yeah, the pandemic really showed us a lot of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a comment and a question from another staff member is um, the student experience, learning, lifestyle, social and developmental provisions requires an integrated approach that requires strong collaboration between academic and service departments like CTLI. What would you say are the biggest challenges and opportunities for us in this regard at Lethbridge College? Well, first, let me give kudos to Lethbridge College, because I think we have done a lot to um, learn how to collaborate and to use each other's expertise to serve the students. And being an institution, I mean, when I first came here, student success was probably, those were probably the two words that I heard the most. And I've always known that no matter what, I know every employee here is committed to student success. So having that vision was important. And then understanding how we could come together to make that happen. So I think that integration to serve students is incredibly important. And again, you know, back to that sort of capacity for change. Change only works if everybody collaborates. And so having that view that we're we're not different divisions, but we all are one institution and having a holistic view to say that we're here to serve the students. We are here from an educational point of view, as well as an applied research point of view, as well as our community partnership point of view. And the less we can rely on particular divisions and the more we come together amongst our six priorities, that that's how we are successful. That's a tough thing to do in academia. As I said before, there's probably 200 years of history of the academic division and the business services division not necessarily seeing eye to eye. The more we can actually keep the focus on the whole, the better we are. Yes, and that exchange of ideas makes everything stronger. Absolutely. I think the more often you can get uh, a group in a room that comes from different areas of the college, the better ideas you have. So another question, building on the first one um, from this same staff member, what are the most important leadership qualities for those leading in higher education today, considering the world around us is anything but stable? (laughs) Yeah, the, you know, when I, I saw that question in advance and I thought about it and I thought, you know, um, there's a book called The Leadership Challenge, Kuzis and Posner, and they they wrote about those characteristics and over, I'm going to say it's more than 20 years of research now, those characteristics are the same. It doesn't matter if it's been a stable environment, you've been in a pandemic, you're uh, needing to be innovative. The number one is trust. What people want from their leaders is trust and that there will be transparency. They'll be sharing of information. They want them to be inspirational. They want them to be forward-looking. And and I think that's a key point. Um, and for me, you know, back to that piece about what my learning was, I'm a visionary leader. I'm forward-thinking. But then recognizing that you need to listen and build the trust with others in the organization in order to bring it together. But... But yeah, characteristics of leaders now, I think, are no different than they were before. And trust and transparency, honesty are, are really key. 
Yeah. And and the environment so often isn't stable, so so it's important to have those characteristics that carry through. Yes, absolutely. We will put a link in the show notes to that book. So if Great. anyone listening is interested, they can mm-hmm. look it up. So a question from another faculty member, or, or sorry, a comment from another faculty member. Paula came to visit my research lab in 2018 and listened to the students presenting their work. I was very touched by her kindness and interest she showed during the two hours Paula spent with us. Paula was wearing a lab coat for the visit and was part of our team for the two hours. Thank you, Paula. And she hopes that you will continue to promote applied research at the college level to develop science interest in students. I remember that visit very well. Um, And what I remember, so it's interesting to see the different perspectives. What I remember is, yes, wearing a lab coat, being there, learning all about the incredible research that's being done. And there was a comment made about a piece of equipment that they were using that said they could only do a certain amount of work because they only had one piece of equipment. So I asked a question about, well, how much does one of those cost? And I won't remember the exact amount, but it was, let's say, $2,000. It was not 200000 it was 2000 <laughs> And in my mind, I was like, okay, why hasn't someone asked us for this? Because we could double the capacity of the amazing research that was being done by a small amount of resources. And so for me, that was a lesson in sort of understanding the culture and what's okay to have a conversation about. I mean, there was probably some fear in asking for $2,000 to um, have another piece of equipment to double their work. But, uh, you know, we wanted to relieve that fear, remove that fear, I guess, and say, you know, let's talk about what what you need to be successful. Mm-hmm. And maybe, yeah, such a, not such a large thing could make quite a difference. Quite a difference, yeah. Another staff member uh, says, I know that you have an extremely taxing job, yet you are such an amazing role model for wellness and being your authentic self. Uh, I want to know if you have any tips about how to find this balance and how to stay authentically you with the many pressures and influences that you must encounter daily. Yeah, I was trying to, you know, I'm trying to think about how to put that into a tip, you know. So you often hear people talk about work-life balance. Um, And when you talk about it in those senses, you often think about hours that you spend at work versus hours that you spend at home or doing community involvement or exercise or whatever it happens to be. For me, my philosophy has always been around you only have one life and it's all integrated. So I take the view that, you know, my health is as important in order to be able to perform in my job. And what brings me balance is then what makes me the best uh, leader I can be. So I'll use an example of, of running. And I've, I've told people this before. It's like, I'm, a, I'm actually a terrible runner. I'm not very fast. Um, and I don't necessarily enjoy every minute of it. However, because I get out and run, I get outside, which I love. Um, and it also just provides me that opportunity to reflect and think and, you know, come up with different solutions to some of the challenges I'm facing. So the short story is that running makes me not a better runner, but it makes me a better leader. Um, and, and so that's kind of how I view things. I do, though, I do have some science behind it. <laughs> I do have a life strategy, which I think has six pillars in it. One of those pillars is you know physical and emotional health. And so I make sure that I have things within my week and within my day that contribute to that. That's just as important as having a pillar that's about financial health and making sure that you're not spending above your means. Um, and so I've, I've divided my sort of life strategy into some components that I think are important. And, and that's how, you know, I look at my success is based on being able to sort of manage my own life um, so that I'm at my best form for others. Your running sounds like my running, um, <laughs> but it, it sounds like your your idea is that it's very integrated, both both the work and the the wellness. Yeah, it is, and you know it's it's difficult to explain to some people because some people will think, well, you shouldn't be working. Let's just use a Sunday afternoon, and and for me, it's like, well, but if that's when I feel at the best to be able to do 
the, the kind of work that I'm doing, then that's when I should do it, right? And that's not to negate that I have responsibilities Monday to Friday uh, in my role, um, but it just gives me an opportunity to do the kind of work I need to at the time within my day that's best for me. This uh, same uh, staff member also comments, I remember when Paula came in with a bold vision for the future of LC uh, that had concepts such as micro-credentials and integrated student supports, many of the things that we are doing today. Mm -hmm. Some in our institution were not ready for it yet, and Paula had to take a pause to back up a bit and meet people where they were at. I think that would have been a tough moment as a leader when you so clearly see where you need to go and yet people aren't ready to be there yet and momentum is impacted. Um, this person is curious how you felt and how you decided what was next in that moment and how that impacted the leader you are today. I think I've, I've talked a little bit about that already, but it, you know, when I think about it in the context of, of it happening, um, certainly... Um, how did it affect me? I mean, I was quite shocked, actually, because it, I wouldn't say it was just my vision. It was sort of a collective vision that we had engaged the community on. There was great excitement about where could Lethbridge College go and what could we do. But what I didn't realize is that that connection to the excitement of the vision um, isn't... Um, it isn't handled the same way by all people. <laughs> so so while it can be a vision on paper and excitement talking about it, when it comes down to having to action it and people making personal change and department change and collective change, that that takes a lot more time. And so my learning at the time was to, as a visionary leader, being able to connect with the people who are on the ground doing some of the work that will shift and change um, and understanding what their feelings are about it. In hindsight, the, the leadership team probably didn't recognize that not everybody was as comfortable with it as they were. Um, and, and certainly, if you think about, you, you read about things like the fear of change, and I could never understand sort of how can people fear change. But if you have any kind of fear, and my fear is fear of heights. So I, I did one of those uh, rope climbing, climbing courses in Nanaimo with my daughter. And I'm, you know, 50 feet in the air in some sort of apparatus thinking and fearful, right? And thinking, and I, my, my wake up moment was, this is how people fear about change. And I thought, okay, now I get it, right? So I had that feeling about something totally different. But it, it helped me understand sort of just how afraid of change some people can be. And so really being able to pay attention to the people, listen to what their, um, listen to what their fears are and to help put steps in, in place to make sure that that fear isn't there. But also in hindsight, as was mentioned, many of those things we're doing today. So I don't regret ever having that vision and those conversations because if we didn't have that, then we wouldn't be at ease today with making some of those changes. It just took a little longer, and that's that's not unusual. Um, and I think, you know, for me, it's, it's still, like I said earlier, uh, forward-looking is a quality that people want in their leader, um, but they don't necessarily all want it at the same time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, good learning. Um, it, it was a difficult time. The other thing I would say is I didn't, ever take it personally. I knew it wasn't me personally. I knew it was about the whole vision and the change and, and what it would mean for us as a college. It sounds like it goes back to what you mentioned in the beginning as well, of having those relationships and forming those relationships so that you were able to, to make a connection with that. Yes. And, you know, you also find out within your leadership team, sort of who is um, totally aligned and who maybe isn't. And, and that's okay. Not everybody needs to be aligned, but you just need to be about clear, clear about where people are. 
You haven't mentioned empathy as far as leadership goes, but your example um, that you mentioned about climbing um, sounds like it it created some empathy for you with with people that you were working with. Is that an aspect of your leadership as well? Yeah, that is. It is, but it it's also one that sometimes you have to be reminded needs to be there. And I can say that you know if you go to um, and, and probably surveyed many executive leadership teams, empathy is probably not their first strength. <laughs> um, but it is it, it is something that you can learn and that you can have compassion um, as well for others. Um, so going back to the question that I had asked previously, the same person um, just wanted to say a comment. Um, I feel so lucky to have had the chance to work with you, Paula, and witness the example that you've set for what strong yet humble and inclusive leadership looks like. We have many strong female leaders in this institution, and it has helped me, the person, the commenter, to be able to see that there is a place for myself in leadership in higher education. Thank you for all you have done for Lethbridge College. Thank you. Um, I'd make a comment there to say that I think we, I totally agree. We have absolutely strong um, female and male leaders, um, but creating that environment where um we were all comfortable to be who we were, um, made a big difference uh, at the senior level um, and throughout all levels of the organization. I think r- raising our pride flag, uh, creating our, our lounge, really working with our students um, and creating that safe environment, not something that I you know set out to do, but it was something that needed to happen and, and just came about seamlessly really by many people being involved. Yeah, a lot of different groups working together and Mm -hmm. making those changes. Would you like to talk a little bit about the changes that you've seen as far as um, infusing Indigenous content into the college? And um, we've got the Nitsitapi strategy now and then efforts towards decolonization. Yeah, when I first came to Lethbridge College, there there certainly was an involvement within our Indigenous community and I think our Indigenous services team, which I'm not even sure that's their name back then. But we've had a strong presence of Indigenous students and a strong sense of caring what happened to them. And so it was work that was already started, but when I came, I felt it was important that at the executive level and even to some extent at the board level, that we really understand a little bit more about where our college was located, Blackfoot territory and what it meant, and how could we really um, embrace what was happening with truth and reconciliation throughout our country. And so one of the things that we started with was a President's Indigenous Advisory Council, and it was really a group of leaders of the Indigenous communities, whether it was in the K-12 system, from the First Nations themselves, really having conversation. And the best way I can describe it is we we met over a meal. Yeah, we had an agenda, but the agenda really was to listen to each other. And I would joke about telling our own Indigenous service teams to not talk, (laughs) to allow our community members to speak. And I would just ask for them to share what was happening within their communities and how could we help. And so... Over the course of, well, I guess about five years now, that has really developed into something that I think provided the foundation. Indigenous Services then created a a business plan, essentially, in terms of the kinds of things they needed to do, which then three years later, we needed an Indigenous strategy. The Nitsitapi strategy really is the input of all the community, how we can be as a college to support them and the kinds of things that we can do that will support truth and reconciliation. We have done more work than I would have imagined because I couldn't even imagine what that work needed to be. Um, But I think that that's an area that we're extremely proud of as a college. As I mentioned, our our college name, having our own honor song, um, being a welcoming place um, for Indigenous students, as well as for others who want to learn more. I think our role as an educator is really important, and how can we be part of the solution? That's wonderful to hear. And the Nitsitapi strategy is such an important document that 
that covers every aspect or reaches every aspect of the work we do at the college. It is. And I, I think that, you know, when we've described it as a living document, it will shift and change. But it really is a, a central point focus and is a priority for us. There's some really good momentum mm-hmm. going forward. Yes, absolutely there is. I think we have uh, an amazing team. I think Lowell Yellowhorn is doing an amazing job with the Indigenous Services team. And and I don't think, maybe not all of us recognize how valuable Lowell is, the role that he's played in his home community. And he really is almost an elder to us as a college community. And, and I think that we are very fortunate to have him. Yes. Yeah. Huge shout out to Lowell. His work is amazing. Mm-hmm. As well as to all the others. I know Marcia has been a great friend and taught me lots. Um, it, it's just really neat to see how many of the Indigenous community are part of our community, and, and we can be proud of that. Is the strategy um, or, or kind of the knowledge that you've developed here, is that something that you'll carry forward to Langara College with you? That's a fantastic question. <laughs> so, so yes, from a people in process, it's an amazing amount of, of things that I've learned with the Blackfoot people and, and how I will carry that forward. But as they will tell you in BC, it's different in BC. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to a college that's located on Musqueam territory, and the Musqueam culture will be very different from the Blackfoot culture. So in many ways, it will be like starting over. But in my mind, building relationships is the same process, no matter which culture you're dealing with. And even as I've traveled internationally, I've learned that. But I, I also think it's important, I will need to be respectful and go in knowing nothing. And, and I need to be taught by the Musqueam what it's like to be on Musqueam territory. Are you looking forward to that? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like that would be uh, really yeah. exciting. Yeah, it is. It's, it, it's going to be very exciting for sure. Well, thank you very much for uh, answering all the questions from the staff and the students and the faculty um, and the comments. Um, Thank you to our our staff and students and faculty for sending in the questions and comments. So for the last part of this episode, we have some some kind of lighthearted, kind of fun questions for you. So uh, the first of these questions is, what is your funniest moment or memory that you have from Lethbridge College? That's a tough one. I mean, there's there's so many, you know, fun things that have happened. Um, I guess, and I probably shared it. I mean, my funniest memory is like the realization is someone plows snow here and, and I don't have to direct that, <laughs> you know. That's kind of fun to realize just how organic an organization is and how everything just works. Well, you might not have to worry about the snow part at Langara. (laughs) That's probably true. (laughs) Okay, another question. Um, Who do you like working with more, the Student Association or the Faculty Association? Oh, I have to say the Student Association. And and that's because they have such young energy, Um, not necessarily that they're all younger, but that they have the energy of students to really just learn and develop. And and when the students come into executive positions on their association, they are just um, full of curiosity and just wanting to learn and do the best for all of their people. Yeah, any of them I've had contact with, they're brilliant and so energetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often wonder, you know, sort of what draws students into the Students Association, but they're they're all leaders. If you look around at some of the presidents we've had, even in my tenure in the Students Association, they're all doing fantastic things within the community. Okay, another question. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I don't remember exactly what I wanted to be, but I do remember I didn't want to be a nurse. And my my mom was a nurse, and although I was fascinated with healthcare. The nurse role seemed kind of boring to me. So I did my first career was a respiratory therapist. um, And I think, you know, I went into respiratory therapy because it had more to do with sort of science and mechanics and innovation. Because at that time, you know, if there were 10 nurses, there wasn't even a respiratory therapist. Like you needed to be in a fairly big hospital before there was even one respiratory therapist. And so it was kind of intriguing to me that it was a relatively new field. That must be quite a journey from that 
to where you are now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was. But I think it's about always wanting to to learn. And so, you know, even throughout my career, you know, I did a, a couple of masters and a PhD because I just love learning. And so post-secondary was a great fit for me because I could be learning continuously without actually having to go back to school. Yes. Yeah. There's no end to the learning. Yeah. So if you could be on any sitcom as a reoccurring character, who would it be and why? This, this is a tough question for me because, first of all, I really don't watch too many sitcoms, right? And then, so then I thought, well, you know, the Flintstones was something that I watched all the time, right? And, and really just that sort of Fred with full of energy and life and, you know, running around doing different things. That's sort of what came to my mind. Uh, you know, I just want to always be busy and always on the go. Well, that's a great answer, and we should put a link to the Flintstones in the show notes. <laughs> okay, another question. If you could have coffee with anyone from the past or present, who would it be and why? I would choose to have coffee with um, Mary Priest, who was my first vice president academic, actually, um, and is the person who actually gave the speech when I was installed here as the president of Lethbridge College. She's a person that I love having conversation with because there's always learning going on and always thinking about things in a different way. She had a very strong influence on me as a, well, basically as a, a faculty member. Um, and, you know, I still enjoy having coffee with her to this day. All right. Um, what book or show are you reading or watching right now? Well, I just restarted reading um, the book I mentioned earlier, which is the um, uh, the Leadership Challenge. Um, <clears throat> it's been one of my go-to leadership books throughout my career. Um, and moving to a new institution, I thought it's a good opportunity to just have her read through that again. Those principles of leadership apply no matter what organization you're in. It's great to have those books that those kind of those foundational books that you can always go back yeah. to. Um, what would you rather have, a window seat or an aisle seat on a plane? Definitely an aisle. I used to be a window person. I'm definitely an aisle person. And that's because I like to be able to grab my stuff and get off the plane as soon as I get somewhere. Um, and I think that comes after years of business travel, creating efficiency um, and making sure that I'm comfortable. So I have, don't have to ask anyone else to move. I can get up and go when I want to. Okay, great point. These are things I had not thought of. <laughs> um, if you could appear anywhere in the world for lunch, where would it be? Anywhere in the world for lunch? Hmm. I would have to say Thailand because Thai food is my favorite. So I would be surrounded by it. Yes, and, and uh, that would be very good place to go for that. Yes, food. and I've not been to Thailand, so that would be helpful. <laughs> well, hopefully you could stay for mm -hmm. longer than lunch. Maybe. Would you rather have a personal chef or a personal butler? Personal chef. Um, I, I do enjoy cooking, but I certainly, I don't have quite as much as imagination, I think, as a chef does. So would love to have a personal chef. All right. Um, if you could write an article for a major publication, such as the New York Times, what would your topic be on? My topic would be about um, education and creating capacity for change. That seems like a perfect fit, given what we've been discussing. Yeah, I, I do think that, that post-secondary education in particular has an opportunity to be leaders in change, and we haven't quite achieved that as a system yet. Well, it sounds like you have that article in you, and you'll have to let us know when you do write it. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, okay, so what are you looking forward to about Vancouver besides the new job? Because big change, Lethbridge to Vancouver. Yeah, there's there's a lot of change for sure. Um, I'm What I'm looking forward to is actually starting sort of a new life with my partner, Donna. Uh, she was in Calgary. I was in Lethbridge. This provides us the opportunity um, to co-create together. And that's what I'm most looking forward to. Oh, well, that's very exciting. So finally, uh, the final question is, what have you, and we ask this on every podcast, what is something that you have loved learning lately? What I've loved learning lately is um, 
really sort of how post-secondary is going to respond to post-pandemic. Um, and what, I, what I've really liked listening to is the different viewpoints of, of very different institutions, because I think it tells you a lot about their culture. Um, and so some institutions have embraced a whole lot of change quite quickly as a result of the pandemic, and others are still waiting to go back to the way things used to be. Um, and so I've just been fascinated with sort of paying attention to that uh, throughout the last number of months. Oh, that's very interesting, because I think early on in the pandemic, people thought, oh, well, eventually we'll return back to normal. But that is likely not the case and not what we want to be the case. We've learned so much. I would I would agree. I don't think it's what we want to do, but there are still some places that I think are hoping that will be the case. Well, it'll be interesting going forward to, to see what becomes. Yes. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Any final comments? Uh, I would like to add that this, this is an amazing innovation, having a podcast at Lethbridge College. I've had the opportunity to listen to some of the other ones. Um, and I think that they every time you have guests on, there's just amazing conversations that happen. Um, I'm, I'm glad we started that. I think that um, it does show that we, you know, get an idea, we pick up, we put it into place, we go. So I feel privileged to be able to share this time with you to to reflect on some of my experience here. And, you know, I have nothing but gratitude for Lethbridge College. And I know that I'm still going to see Lethbridge College leading in transforming education in Alberta all the way from B.C. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. And uh, I always learn all kinds of things in, in my conversations on the podcast. And, and we all wish you all the best in your new venture at Langara. Thank you. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Dr. Paula Burns as guest. Jordana Gagnon was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Daryl Benebeck, Joel Godry, Kelsey Jansen, Tyler Wall, Jamin Heller, Jesse Sorensen for their ongoing support and expertise. A big thank you to those who sent in questions and responses to our form. And finally, thank you, Paula, for your service over the years and for helping to evolve the college into what it is today. You will be greatly missed, but we wish you all the best. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more information and inspiration, check out learninginnovation.ca. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, or follow us on your chosen platform. Thanks for listening and take care.